What if I told you there's a cloud accounting ERP system that has over 5 million users worldwide, and this ERP system only has one accounting firm listed in their find an accountant directory for all of North America? I'm guessing you're thinking, it sounds like an opportunity to get new clients and grow your firm. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Odoo, later in the episode. Maybe a little less, maybe a little more sometimes, but I found that was a good rule of thumb that bookkeeping should come out to like 1% to 2% of your total monthly expenses. That's interesting that you frame it that way. Like nobody, I've never seen anybody frame that to small businesses. Like, hey, you know, because you'll see these questions, how much should I be spending on bookkeeping a month? Like maybe as an industry, everybody should message that out to small business owners. Hey, you should be paying maybe 1% to 2%. Today is Saturday, April 3rd. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. How are you doing, David? Good. I feel like, you know, things are starting to get back to normal. My kids are back. They've been back in school now for two weeks, 10 days, which is exciting in-person school. And my daughter even like did like a normal teenager thing. Like her and friends, her friends after school all walked like three quarters of a mile, went to a coffee house, enjoyed each other's company face to face. I mean, obviously still, you know, mask on and that type of stuff. But Mm -hmm. like I, I was, it's almost a tear of joy, like seeing your kids do normal activities. Isn't it? They're not locked in the room on a Zoom call. Oh, it's so great. I uh, I also was around people, not by myself in my uh, home. I went to my first political rally ever. It was the Stop Asian Hate rally here in the Phoenix area in Mesa, Arizona. I don't know if you've seen all these rallies going on on TV. Yes. yes. Uh, in response to the increase in hate crimes and that specific shooting in Atlanta. This was a vigil for that. Uh, and normally, I'm, I'm not really politically active in this way. I mean, I'm supportive, but I've never gone out myself. But I, I was having drinks the other day with our friend, Michael Lee, who is well known in the cloud accounting community, has a, a firm with, gosh, I don't know, like 40 people uh, called Reconciled. Uh, I think they just merged with an, or bought another firm. And he was a... Yeah. I, I think he was a Firm of the Future winner for Firm of the Future at one time. If not, he was the US finalist and then somebody in Canada won it because the Canadians always seem to keep winning it. So he's out here now in the Phoenix area. So we've been hanging out a bunch and we were having a happy hour the other day and it came up and he told me a story about the impact on his family and incident that I'm not going to relate here because it's his story, but you know, it really shocked me and- Hearing that from a friend um, just made me feel terrible. You know, hate crimes against Asians are up 150% in this country. I think it was 150% up 2020 over 2019. So it's like, it's a big deal. And it's a community that has historically stayed very silent and said, you know, heads down, work hard, achieve the American dream, don't complain. But, you know, that doesn't mean this stuff doesn't happen all the time. And yeah. So yeah, it kind of shocked me into action. And so I went and it was great. And I'm I'm glad I went and I encourage everyone to go. The tie into accounting is that 12% of the accounting profession is Asian American, which is twice as much as the general population. And it's the largest non-white group in our profession. And so that alone means it's very important for firm owners, for professionals to support our colleagues. 
all this march towards more diversity and better diversity like cannot be ignored in the accounting industry. Right? We, we've historically been very bad at it. And especially with the, like you always see the ratios, mm-hmm. right? On one end of the funnel in the accounting industry, the ratios are the opposite of society. Like we have more females, we have more, like you said, uh, double for the amount of Asians. But then on the other, when it comes to partners, it's completely flip-flopped to where yeah. nobody exists. <laughs> that, that's diverse, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, 70, 80% uh, white male still. So there's a there's a shift that is coming. I mean, it's going to happen just because of like demographics and, and you know the, the older generation retiring, I think. Uh, if, it, if, if there isn't a shift that happens, then I think we have an existential threat <laughs> as a profession. Where do we go from here, David? We've got lots of news I, to I, cover. Pilot is in the news. We still have to talk about Pilot um, and follow up on that for sure. They keep getting ridiculous headlines and just this one this one thing you sent me where they are described as the AWS of SMB back office is just so ridiculous that we have to talk about that statement in, in I think, was that TechCrunch? This was in TechCrunch. Like, I think for me, it's really obvious that the reporters are not doing any work when they write up articles about this. They're, they're working from press releases because if you do any research at all, it's very clear that Pilot uses QuickBooks. Right. And, and the article starts with something like QuickBooks isn't enough or or yeah, here it is. QuickBooks, it seems, doesn't just doesn't always cut it. So they, they don't even realize that Pilot is just running off of QuickBooks. Yeah. So and then if you follow this logic of this AWS argument, guess what QuickBooks is running on? AWS. So it's like full circle of insanity, like the the headline of this. So we'll come back to that. Uh, We've also got a bunch of app updates as usual. QuickBooks Zero, Walters Kluwer. I have an update from them. I've got listener mail and we got some reviews. Let's do the reviews first. Let's knock those out. Okay, great. So uh, this came in on Apple Podcasts. Awesome way to be caught up on all things accounting. Five stars. Really look forward to every episode each week. Catches me up on all the latest in accounting news without having to capture and read all the info myself. I quote something from it at least once a week and always try to get more subscribers to the podcast when I do. Thank you. That is from S. Meenster, Smeenster via Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, Smeenster. Uh, I have another review. It's on Apple Podcasts. This is five stars. It's from Angie CPA. More than writing my own accounting and workflow solution, the fact that I enjoy an accounting podcast as much as I do, as I do this one, cements me as an accounting geek. The fact that I do it on my walk to work with the giant headphones on, well, that is just icing on the cake. I hate those earbud things. Love listening to you guys. Always learn something new. So, yeah. So, apparently you get accounting geek cred if you listen to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Awesome. We should we should give Angie some Cloud Accounting Podcast branded S- headphones. Stickers to put on her headphones. <laughs> put on the, yeah, put on the, the big headphones. Love that. Anyway, one more here. One more from Larissa Lopez. I am an inspiring CPA candidate with my own bookkeeping firm for over 10 years. I love your podcast. It is always great information and good tech suggestions. A podcast that keeps my attention and I can actually understand what you say. Love it. Larissa. Hey, thank you so much, Larissa. That And thank you everyone for those reviews. That is so great. I mean, I live for these reviews, right? Sitting be- here behind my microphone. This is what keeps me going. So if our listeners want to leave reviews and inspire us to do better on our show, where can they do that, David? Yeah. So there's two places. One, you can do it on Apple Podcasts right inside your Apple app. But if you really want to help Blake feel good, but you also want to help <laughs> 
others, Podchaser has a promotion right now called Reviews for Good. And every time you read a review of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, Podchaser will donate 25 cents to Meals on Wheels. And if Blake and I reply to your review, they double the amount. Sweet. So we could collectively, you know, Blake will feel good because he'll see great reviews, but we'll be helping a uh, bigger cause, uh, Meals on Wheels, for the month of April. So we'd love if you guys uh, head over to Podchaser and leave a review. You can feed our souls while you feed the hungry. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Client Hub. Are your clients creating bottlenecks in your workflow? Typical workflow systems are built for internal teams only and not clients, leaving your team constantly waiting for client responses. Client Hub is the one and only workflow solution with a client collaboration portal that automates client requests for everything you need to complete your work. Client Hub is built by cloud accountants for cloud accountants, and when you adopt Client Hub's unique combination of workflow and client collaboration, magic happens. They guarantee it. Your team will love powerful checklist workflows. Your clients will love the easy-to-use Client Hub web portal and mobile app. Client Hub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners. 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. And at the end of three months, if Client Hub hasn't radically improved your productivity, they will refund your money. It's a zero-risk way to remove all your blocked client workflows. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash client hub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. We also got listener mail this week. We actually got it a couple weeks ago, but we haven't had time to hit on it. And I want to make sure that we get to these emails. Well, they're LinkedIn messages, Twitter messages, because there's some really good stuff in here. So this is from Danny. He said, first off, just wanted to say I'm a big fan of the show. I wanted to ask a quick question on something you touched on in last week's episode. You mentioned that when you had a practice, you were able to create an Excel spreadsheet that really helped eliminate you from the sales process that essentially generated a proposed fee based on the 10 to 20 data points that went into the formula. I know you mentioned some of the data points on the show, how many bank accounts, number of employees, annual revenue, number of transactions, but are these data points something that you would ever make available to people? I am looking to propose the change from hourly to value billing and currently have a list of my own data points that I would feel necessary to touch on in a sales call to help generate that proposed fee, but I would be curious to see if there are others you included that I had not. So, Danny... I'm excited to say that I, I went back and I looked for my old pricing matrix from when I had my, my first firm, and I found it. And so for what it's worth, I'll be happy to share some of those data points and how I price things out. Uh, we won't go into too much detail because we got a lot else to cover on the show. But, you know, David, I'm happy to, to kind of walk you through what I did. I don't know if you're curious. Yeah. So can I take a couple guesses? Sure. Go ahead. Um, I think you probably have something on the the volume, transaction volume, I imagine. So interestingly enough, I do not. I abandoned transaction volume because of the efficiency of bank feeds. So it doesn't matter how many transactions are in the bank account. Uh, what really matters is more how many bank accounts they have, but actually more importantly than that, how much they're spending every month. Not the volume of transactions, but the total value of transactions. And I've seen a lot of firms, including Pilot, by the way, adopt this model. Uh, I was doing it back in, I don't know, 2012, 2013. 
And the way it worked is, uh, well, to zoom out a little bit, I had three main services that were part of our bookkeeping packages. And this was for cloud-sourced accounting, my cloud-based bookkeeping firm. We were a zero partner. We only did zero-based bookkeeping. So we had that, zero-based bookkeeping, and we would do cash and accrual accounting. We also did bill pay. We would use bill.com to do bill pay. And then we did payroll. And uh, it was Zen payroll at the time. I have that in my spreadsheet here. So those are the three offerings, right? Bookkeeping, bill pay, payroll. And all of our clients were on some mix of those three offerings. You could just do bookkeeping. You could add on the other ones, but you had to at least do the bookkeeping. And the way I ended up pricing it was three tiers, and it was by total amount of expenses per month. So bronze, silver, gold. Bronze was up to $15,000 per month. Very small, right? Startup sole proprietor, freelancer, and we would do that for $150 a month. Then we had silver up to $30,000 a month in uh, transactions, and that was $250 a month. And then we had gold up to $75,000 per month, and that was $400 per month. And this was cash basis only, those those um, tiers I'm telling you. that was cat. We called that cash book, and we would actually use Zero's cash book subscription, which is... Uh, one of the reasons I loved Zero at the time because it was super affordable. It didn't have bills or invoices, so that was completely disabled in the product. So our customers couldn't even do it, and we were just doing bank feed accounting basically for them. We would include at each level two bank accounts, three bank accounts, four bank accounts as a way to discourage people from having twelve bank accounts that we had to reconcile, which could be a real hassle. And then we would charge people, you know, an extra twenty-five to fifty dollars per bank account if they went over that to get them to consolidate or at least cover our time to do that reconciliation every month. Uh, and all of these plans included a quarterly management report. So we weren't doing monthly for them. Uh, we, we might do it if they asked for it for a specific month, but by default, it was quarterly. So then we also had a cruel basis where you could, we called it bills and invoices. And essentially it's the same tiers, but the prices double. So, in that case, you you can do bills and invoices, and we would do your accruals for you for double the price. Uh, and that, we found, worked out really well. So we had limits, soft limits on the number of invoices and bills, 15, 30, and 75, just to make sure people aren't going crazy and we're having a hard time reconciling stuff. And it worked out pretty well. We would charge them an overage of like two bucks an invoice for a bill. Uh, but but that wasn't like something we charged every month. That would we just build that into the price. So if they if they had like two hundred bills a month or two hundred invoices a month, we could you know estimate what that would be. And the whole point of all of this was to try and make the bookkeeping come out to be a percentage of their monthly expenses. And for cash basis, it would be around one percent on average. For accrual with the bills and invoices, it would end up coming to around 2% on average. Maybe a little less, maybe a little more sometimes, but I found that was a good rule of thumb that bookkeeping should come out to like 1% to 2% of your total monthly expenses. That's interesting that you frame it that way. Like nobody, I've never seen anybody frame that to small businesses. Like, hey, you know, because you'll see these questions, how much should I be spending on bookkeeping a month? Like, Maybe as an industry, everybody should message that out to small business owners. Hey, you should be paying maybe one to two percent 
of your expenses into bookkeeping. Like, like budget out one to two percent of your company's expenses towards bookkeeping, and kind of present it that way as an industry. Because there, there, you know, it's like that whole like what you should you spend on an engagement ring, right? Yeah. It's just this marketing formula they created, <laughs> right? Like, was it two and a half times your month's salary yeah, or some yeah. crap, right? Like, kind of the same thing. Like, set the tone out there because there is no tone. So there, so small businesses have no expectations what they should be paying for bookkeeping, and I think that's why the pricing's everywhere, and why sometimes they don't want to pay at all. And I was very upfront about trying to aim for this with my clients if they were having pricing issues. I would say, look, my goal is to make this affordable for you, and I have found this to be a good rule of thumb. I'm trying to remember how I came to this. It was actually because I worked in the same city as a lot of business managers. And business managers in Los Angeles are the people who handle the finances for celebrities and athletes. And it's very, very common for them to charge a flat 5% to do everything for their client. They take 5% of their client's earnings and they- Agent fee or whatever they call it. Yeah. And it's just agents work the same way, right? Agents take more, 10 to, I don't know, 15%. And so all in, you know, a celebrity might end up paying anywhere from 10 to 20% of their income to have all of their finances and business managed and their agent and business manager and all that stuff. So I thought, well, that works for them. And I wanted it to be the same way with bookkeeping. I didn't want to charge people 10% of their revenue to do bookkeeping. That's not fair. It's just bookkeeping, right? So I like that percentage formula. You know, we didn't actually explicitly do that. But we had tiers that put people into that. So that was the bookkeeping. For bill bill pay, it was actually even simpler. It was just how many bills do you have? And we would charge the bill pay fee to manage all of their accounts payable on bill.com. We would calculate what that was by taking the number of bills on average per month and multiplying it by a price. And that price ranged from... $10 to $20 per bill, depending on how much volume they had. So that was pretty easy. And then for payroll, we had four different tiers with an estimate of the number of employees that they would have. And then we charged based on that because the number of employees, and it was broken down into salaried and hourly, is what determined the difficulty or complexity or time required to run that payroll. And also just value to the business owner for not having to to run it. So that could range from $50 to $300 a month for a very small business, right? With under under a dozen employees. And so then when you, you have your spreadsheet, you calculate all this, what you think you're going to charge. Then did you step back and ask a question like, okay, but what's the value to this specific business owner and then adjust your price? Or did you just, here's your spreadsheet pumped out a quote and you just use that price? So <laughs> it depends. Like, did you truly value bill it? Is this where I'm coming from? Uh, no. So if, if I had the time... This didn't always happen, but in the ideal scenario, my sales guy, he would gather all of the data points in the call and find out what the business owner was interested in. We would put in a quote for everything they were potentially interested in, and I would review that. And then I would look at the total price, and I would compare the total price to this business, how many employees they have, how much revenue they have, how much they have in expenses, and what type of business they're in. And then I would gut check it, and I would say, is this reasonable? And I would push it up or down. But this gave me a great starting point. And I usually didn't have to adjust it too much. And sometimes I would just round it, right? Round it up. $930 a month. I said, let's just make it 1000 Makes sense. Get it. Get it. Um, Get it. 
and we had other things in here, you know, sales tax filings, we would just do a flat fee per filing, right? We had flat fees to set up zero. So if it was a brand new zero account, it would be 500 bucks. And we would just adjust that if, if they had cleanup work to do, right? We would charge per month for cleanup. It was all flat. And so it was easy to calculate this initial fee. And then I would just adjust it based on what I felt was a good value. And as I got more experience and had more clients, I could easily compare, oh, here's an e-commerce client. We have another e-commerce client. Here's what they're paying. They're about the same size. This is working. We'll just copy that. Good. So then I think when you talk about the flat fees, because the whole point of getting people on flat fees is now you can just bill them automatically monthly. And I think that leads into your second email you got from a listener this week. Yes. So Stephen Brown sent us a message and said, David and Blake, as always, I love the podcast. We here at Ledger Gurus are experiencing the ACH fees with QuickBooks payments firsthand. He's referring to the change now where you as an advisor have to pay the ACH fee rather than it being free. And he said, our fees increased over 10x this month and obviously could go up to 20x if all of our clients were $1,000 a month or more. I'm looking for alternatives, but not finding much other than banks with their old school treasury management portals. Lots of fintech solutions do ACH out, but not authorized ACH in. Does Melio or anyone else you know do this? If not, someone needs to jump on it because there is a huge opportunity for someone who does authorized ACH with QuickBooks integration. I, I know of one solution that I used. I could just recommend Practice Ignition. I, I, I've used them. I actually still use them with one client. And you set up the engagement. You set up the billing. It's just automatic in every month. I think it's like a dollar, uh, 50 cents or a dollar per payment. But you have to kind of use that for the whole, like, sending out your engagement letter, your pro, your quote. It's tied to a big system. You can't just be like, here's the ACH numbers. Go withdraw the money. Right, right. So it's not just that. It's the whole engagement proposal management thing you have to buy into, which I think is good and, and you know I would recommend. But yeah, if you are just looking for a solution to do this automatic uh, payment, then you would need something else. So yeah, hopefully, I mean, I'm, hopefully uh, at Melio, I'm working on this, hopefully building this on the accounts receivable side. But in the meantime, I did write an FAQ and people can use this on the accounts payable side, it's a little bit of a workaround. There's some clicking involved, but you get to the same end. So if you have your ACH routing numbers from your small business owner, mm-hmm. right? And they've already authorized you to to take payments out, you essentially can set up Melio on the accounts payable side. Essentially what you're doing is you're automating the payment of them to you instead of you automatically automating the pull, mm-hmm. you're just automating the payment to you. And so, so I do have an FAQ I'll put in the show notes for that. There's... Um, there's another one actually said that uh, I've used that's smaller. Maybe folks aren't w- aware of it, but it's called U Collect. The letter U and the word collect dot biz. And it's an interesting solution because it's a software layer, an app on top of payment gateways. So you can actually pick your payment gateway, connect it to U Collect, which then handles the monthly recurring charge. And, um, it, it it works. It's it's a good solution. It was originally for zero users, but I think they also now have a QuickBooks uh, integration as well. And it, it's really interesting too because I look at this and you know with accounts and bookkeepers, yes, everybody's trying to help their small business owners, you know, pay their bills or automate their bill processes and all of these types of things, and, and maybe put spending limits and all this other stuff. But the real problem that all accounts and bookkeepers are really trying to solve first is like, how do I make my clients pay me automatically first before they pay anybody else? <laughs> like. That. 
And, and that's kind of where people are trying to solve because this yeah. adds up very, very fast. Um, I think I talked to a firm that very quickly, like they're in $20,000 in ECH fees collecting from mm. their clients. And I cannot tell you how life-changing it was for me to switch all of my clients to fixed fees with my pricing model and then bill them all on the first of every month and get paid within the first week before everybody else got paid, I got paid. And then I could use that money to pay my own employees throughout the month. So I had basically zero working capital that I had to worry about funding into my business. It was all being funded by my clients in real time. And that's a great argument to a managing partner to move to fixed fees. It's just not having your working capital tied up paying your employees before you get paid by your clients. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. I was checking out Odoo the other day, and sure, it has all the typical features you would expect in a highly customizable cloud ERP system, including dozens of built-in modules and thousands of third-party apps. But one of the built-in app modules really caught my eyes. It's a spreadsheet, but not any spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is built directly into the accounting system. By using Odoo's built-in spreadsheet module, you can model and manipulate your data and it instantly stays up to date without any exports or integrations. It's crazy powerful. Imagine a sales rep updating a projected sale amount in a CRM module and having instantly reflected in your spreadsheet. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo and the spreadsheet module a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. So speaking of fixed fees, should we jump into a little bit of pilot news since they're kind of a fixed fee model? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about let's talk about pilot. Uh, you you brought this TechCrunch article call, and the, the headline here is Jeff Bezos's investment fund is backing a startup hoping to be the AWS for SMB accounting, AWS being Amazon Web Services on which like half of the internet runs. So including QuickBooks and Zero, so they're built on top of AWS, and then Pilots you built on top of you know, QuickBooks and some of these other competing products that are out there, these accounting firms with engineers, a lot of them are built on top of QuickBooks and Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a few, I think Bench built their own proprietary accounting system. I think Bench is, I, I think if I remember correctly, Indonero did as well, but a lot are just built on the existing tech stack that's out there. And, and just to step back a moment and bring everyone up to speed in case they missed it, Pilot is a cloud-based bookkeeping tax CFO services company. They are venture capital backed. They have raised over $100 million. That's their recent raise, $100 million. <laughs> yeah. So they've raised a Series C of you know 120. It's just a ridiculous amount of money. I forget the amount, but- uh, It's jet- about 100,000 per client that they have right now. <laughs> so so they they are valued at, you know, if you, if you take traditional firm valuations and you look at how much Pilot is valued at, which is $1.2 billion based on their recent valuation. They are now a top 10 accounting firm, even though they have something like a thousand clients, as best we can tell. So yeah, it's it's just nuts. Um, and Jeff Bezos's personal family office has, investment fund has in, has invested in them. So yeah. you know, so, it's getting all this attention. So let me let me uh because I found actually an article with some more nuggets in it that actually ties a lot of things together, even back to predictions I've had okay. this year, right? So 
the one thing in the article in the TechCrunch article, which I which I find interesting, besides the fact they want to be they, they want to claim they're the be the AWS of bookkeeping, right? Is they talk about how Pilot really just tries to do exceptional customer experience. And the fact that 80% of their business is driven by referrals and organic. So if I want to compare and contrast the other $100 million flop, Scale Factor, Scale Factor was burning cash like crazy because everybody's, all you saw was Facebook ads for Scale Factor constantly. Mm-hmm. Based on what I'm seeing, I'm not seeing a lot of pilot marketing ads right on Facebook. It's not that they don't exist. It's just they're probably not spending cash as fast as Scale Factor was. And, and their cost of acquisition is probably much lower, which means they probably will have a little bit longer runway if this works or doesn't work. And and I think I have a, a hint as to why they don't have to do that. It's because they have a ton of clients who are tech startups themselves. That explains to me a lot of how Pilot is operating. So so that gets, so that not necessarily explains some of the money that's being moved through this. So I found another article that actually uh, I thought was better. It's in emarketer.com. And it talks about this mega round. And so the nice thing is, let's see about this article, we have some numbers. So they have basically just more than a thousand customers. Oh, so that's actually confirmed? That's confirmed. And they have, they've processed 3 billion in bookkeeping transactions. So that's going to be your expense and your income, right? All added together and probably payroll as well, right? Well, and if All it's add. technology startups, there is no income. <laughs> yeah, there's no income. <laughs> and then that's up from a hundred million, uh, Per month in 2019, so 100 million times 12, so it's 100. So basically, they 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 doubled in size from 2019 to, through 2020. Uh-huh. But this is the 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 real. This article actually is not afraid to go out and state that this could suggest an Amazon partnership on the horizon, which goes back to one of my predictions of like, what happens if these outsiders we don't know about get into this space? And then it goes on to talk about how like um, Pilot could better. Uh, offer business capital, just like QuickBooks does and mm. on and on and on, the same type of keywords. But it also goes on to say like the Bezos investment could indicate future collaboration opportunities with Amazon, enabling Pilot to reach the e-tail giants and millions of SMB clients. And this ties back to, remember QuickBooks, one Dubai, big commerce. If this happens, if Amazon goes deep, because you can automate, you can if you're Pilot and you want to automate something and you have all the data from a standard starting point, for example, Amazon, you could build a platform like this and automate everything because the data is in a starting state that's identical. It's hard to do this for 10,000 different, 100,000 different small businesses because all the data is different. But you could do this for all Amazon sellers in theory. And then going back to if Amazon wants to do this, QuickBooks obviously has always probably feared this, hence them, their interest in big commerce, right? And now they're really trying to go heavy into the e-commerce space. Mm-hmm. And then there's no doubt if they do this, Shopify will buy FreshBooks. Zero doubt that would happen. Like it would create a huge domino effect in the industry. But that's where this is a bigger play is how deep or where is this going to go towards Amazon? Yeah. The issue I see with that is Amazon's customers or their sellers are e-commerce people. And e-commerce accounting is really hard and really complicated. (laughs) Anytime you add inventory into the mix... Bookkeeping just gets really, really difficult. So, yeah, and the reason it's hard because it's hard to get the data out of Amazon in a useful way. Well, but so also just if because Amazon offers you the bookkeeping. Yeah, you've just eliminated the headache. Well, if if yeah, but that would only that only works if you have all of your products on Amazon, which is not how it works. The reason e-commerce accounting yeah. is complicated is because people have <laughs> inventory everywhere, and sales tax filings and all this stuff. Like, 
So, but maybe you won't. If you're like, oh, it's too yeah. much headache, I'll just only sell on Amazon because my bookkeeping's done instantly and for free. Why, why even bother with these other platforms? So here's why I think Pilot has been successful. It's because when they focus on startups, startups have actually very easy bookkeeping in a lot of cases because they have payroll and they have AWS spend and they have Facebook ad spend which, and, Google and, ads, yeah. and Google ads, right? It's like super easy uh, to automatically categorize all your, your ad spend and your cost of goods sold and and payroll is not that complicated these days. Yeah, I think I just have that stuff going through $12 a month auto entry and it gets into my QuickBooks automatically. I should go get a VC. I should pitch to a VC. Right. I built a solution. Right. And, you know, and, and so here's the problem is that they've built this valuation around Pilot for a very specific niche, but like it would have to grow beyond the startup ecosystem in order to be worth, you know, a billion dollars for real. And I'm just very skeptical of their ability to do that, having basically tried this idea myself. This is what I wanted to do with crowdsourced accounting, my firm that we were just talking about. And a lot of the stuff that Pilot's doing is very similar with these fixed fees and set of services that they've got. And I did it for three years. The idea was we were going to go get venture capital after I did an angel round, worked on it for three years. And I said, the margins just don't make sense. There is no way, even if I could raise the money, that it will grow quickly enough to, to justify the kind of SaaS valuations you need. I thought it would at first, but then I decided it wouldn't. And and also- And you're, you're, you're going to have a lot of turnover, right? Because either that startup's going to fail, which the vast majority do, or it's going to become this unicorn that just grows like crazy and you're probably not going to be able to become their, be their bookkeeper much longer. And that was it, David. It was the turnover that killed me. I would hire a great bookkeeper. I would get them set up with 20 or 30 clients. It would be humming along, super profitable. And then that person decides to go somewhere else. And guess what? All of those clients are now unhappy because they've got somebody new who doesn't understand their business. Quality control becomes a huge issue. Even just finding somebody to replace them becomes a huge issue. And that is the barrier to scaling up. It's the people because the people are still critical. Even though you've automated a lot of that bookkeeping work and a lot of that bill pay, it's paperless and a lot of that payroll, the relationship with that bookkeeper or that accountant is still the most important thing to driving value in the organization. And turnover is what kills you. And also just finding qualified people and then doing quality control. And that is where I have anecdotally heard Pilot is struggling, is that they have trouble doing quality control because doing good quality control, meaning having review on the financials, can double your cost to deliver it. Because you got to pay somebody who knows what they're doing when they look at set of financial statements and look through books to audit that and make sure that it's right. <laughs> right? Well, so maybe. So I have another article. Speaking of audit, there's a new company called Auditoria. Auditoria. <laughs> Auditoria. They raised $15 million to expand their AR platform of automating repetitive accounting tasks. So here's another one. Now, this is like, this is in um, VentureBeat. So they took $15.5 million. They have 200 customers. So they didn't get, so Pilot got 100,000 per one of its customers. They only got 75,000. Okay. But what's the take? take and and this, the article is ridiculous. It's like we use combination of machine learning and computer, robotic process. They have all the keywords, human accountants, and it can handle certain things with taxes and expenses, and it can communicate with stakeholders and natural. It does everything. It, this is like the perfect app. But the real thing is, I start like reading the quote from the VC. 
He says, we have been on the hunt to invest in the right team with the experience and innovative technology necessary to transform corporate finance. And we found that in Auditoria. We envision a day when every global finance team is using Auditoria to streamline and automate back office operations. All this VC money is coming in, but each one of these VCs keep thinking they found the magic gem of this. <laughs> yeah. Like, like which one's the magic gen? Because they all claim they all do the same stuff. Like, like I, I guess in my brain, like, how are VCs making decisions of why invest in this one and not invest in Pilot or why invest in this one or this one or this one? Because they all claim to do the same stuff and they're investing, you know, crazy amounts of money in this. I, I, like, how do, I think there's just so much money floating around right now that you can basically raise money if you put artificial intelligence and machine learning into a pitch deck about anything. Honestly. Well, I tweeted that. If you use bank feeds, receipt capture type stuff like Dext or HubDoc or AutoEntry and use a little no-code tools like uh, uh, Airtable or uh, Zapier, you could probably make a pitch to a VC right now at your firm. And, and here's why it works. Because the VCs don't understand professional services because it's basically the opposite of technology. Professional services is about relationships and the tech world is all about eliminating relationships. Uber is about eliminating the person from the whole experience of booking a taxi, right? Not having to call somebody, just using an app. You don't even have to talk to the driver. They just know where to go. It's all about removing that. But accounting and finance, if you remove the person, the value goes away in that. And, and I tweeted this a couple days ago. I said, it doesn't matter if you deliver a P&L to a business owner faster and cheaper if there's no one to explain it. Because most of your business owners don't know how to read a set of financial statements. So you eliminate the human. Yeah. Like it, it's useless. It's totally useless to them. So then I'm starting to wonder what the hunt is for. Because are they hunting for a solution to a problem in the market? Or is this a, oh, we have a, bo a board of investors and every everyone's like, well, why don't we have a company like pilot on our list of investments. And this is a lot of me too investing going on right now. Well, I think most investing is me too investing. There's like a handful of people who actually know what they're doing and see the trends and the rest just follow. And that's the way it's always been on Wall Street and everything, right? <laughs> so that's another so, one. So I don't know if you want to jump into app news, but yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about app news. So, so you mentioned QuickBooks Cash, or actually you mentioned, we were talking about QuickBooks ACH. Yes. And the key thing to remember about all of this for advisors who are using it and don't want to pay that 1% fee now is that if you switch to QuickBooks Cash, you get it for free. So that's like they're forcing you onto QuickBooks Cash in order to keep the free ACH. And I have a story about QuickBooks Cash and accountants. Intuit has updated QBO Accountant so that professionals now have the ability to view their clients' QuickBooks Cash accounts and Cashflow Planner pages. And I guess previously you couldn't, which would be a, a big challenge if you're an advisor and your client's asking you about their QuickBooks Cash account. You couldn't view it. Now you can. So that's going to make things easier as more clients inevitably are using QuickBooks Cash in order to get the free ACH. In addition to adding QuickBooks Cash to QBO Accountant, the Payroll Insights dashboard has been updated. You can now see, or I guess it's been added to the client list within QBO Accountant. So now you can see the top payroll tasks for onboarding, payday, tax payments, and tax uh, filings all in one place. So in summary, giving accountants more visibility into their clients from a single place. Yeah, which is huge because if you have 50 clients and you got to click on 
50 different browser tabs and 50 different websites, if you can get it on the one spot in QBO or QBOA, QuickBooks Online Account Edition, you're going to be much better off. It's just those clicks really add up at the end of the week. There was also an update to QuickBooks Online Advanced. Now you can customize reminders in workflows instead of using the existing templates. This is a feature of Advanced that allows you to create automatic reminders based on if this, then that logic. So when your user-defined conditions are met, a task could be generated in the task manager. A customer email could be sent. An internal company email could be sent. Push notifications could be sent. So giving you as an accountant more opportunities to help customize workflows for your clients. Uh, Cloud Elements. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but Cloud Elements was an API product. So they would, their whole play was, we're going to, if you're a developer and you want to integrate with QuickBooks and Xero and Sage and these other banks and Stripe and all this fintech stuff that's out there, you could just integrate with UiPath. I'm sorry, with Cloud Elements, and you get it all in theory on paper. You get it all for free. You 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 integrate once with Cloud Elements and you get everything else for free. So they got acquired by UiPath. Just to remind everybody, UiPath is really in that more CFO level, bigger enterprise level automation. So they replace your keyboard and mouse. So any of that robotic. clicking, you need robotic process automation, right? Right. Now, because they've acquired Cloud Elements, now if you're building something on UiPath, you don't have to get data only through mouse clicks and copy and paste. You might be able to pull some data via API calls as well from other apps. Gotcha. It was a pretty big acquisition and a really game-changing for UiPath, I think. It, it takes them from just being a big mouse and cl- keyboard to a real data mover in the middle of the... The power of it now is real, mm-hmm. I think. Zero continues to make improvements to their reporting. The latest feature release from the reporting team at Zero allows you to display and sort your profit and loss and balance sheet reports by account code, something that people have been asking for it for a while. So you no longer have to go in and manually do that in the report layout editor. You can just click a button and sort by account code. Walters Kluwer has added crypto tax capabilities to its CCH products. This is according to a story in Accounting Today. Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting has partnered with Cointracker and Verity to integrate their cryptocurrency software capabilities with the cloud-based CCH access tax and on-premise CCH ProSystem FX tax platforms. So these are two different crypto companies that make software for tax professionals. They both automate IRS form 8949 for virtual currency assets. So hopefully this will make it easier for tax pros to calculate the gains and losses track cost basis, and ensure tax returns are accurate, which can be especially complex if clients use multiple exchanges. Lastly, there's an update from FreshBooks. Quite a few, actually. The one that I will call out is the new profitability details report. Now you can run this report and see line by line the services and expenses tied to a specific project. So you can always see how much money you're spending and making, or rather your clients can always see how much they're spending and making, uh, including unbilled time, build time, costs, and their gross margin. Sage has debuted in a data and analytics platform. This is a product in the US and Canada built around its Sage 100 and 300 accounting software. Sage Data and Analytics is a business intelligence toolkit with built-in artificial intelligence and machine learning. David, you have to drink 
twice, I think, because we got two buzzwords in there. <laughs> it provides live sales dashboards, graphic cash flow analysis, profit and loss reports, and more. This was developed with the use of Zap, a software company that makes data and analytics software optimized for different ERP systems. So what's interesting about this is we have what are essentially legacy ERP systems, often on-prem. If they're hosted, they have to be hosted on a cloud server. They're not true SaaS, but they are very powerful. A lot of companies are locked into this and they don't have better solutions. One of the problems with these on-prem ERP systems is the reporting and the analytics is typically very bad. What this allows you to do is connect that legacy system to a cloud-based data and analytics provider so you can get the benefit of cloud-based reporting analytics, business intelligence, while still using your legacy ERP system. So I would expect this to happen basically with all the big on-prem ERPs. We're going to see them partner with companies that plug in and allow you to, to get this best of both worlds kind of situation. And it, it could actually be a really good solution rather than having to rip something out and go to a NetSuite or a Sage Intact. So I have some news about uh, a CPA firm that's kind of set up a different way or a different model to hire CPAs that could eventually be partners. Do you want to hear about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's, what's new so, about this? So it's a California firm called Dark Horse CPAs. And essentially, they created, quote unquote, an accelerator program. And so there's some buzzwords in this, you know, mm-hmm. because it's a press release, but it's kind of interesting. So what they're basically will do is there's probably accountants or bookkeepers that maybe want to have their own book of business, right? Or accountants, really. They want their own book of business. Maybe they kind of want to have their own firm. Maybe they don't want to have their own firm. They don't know. So they could join this accelerator program. And what they do is Dark Horse will train them on their stack of apps then train them on how to do sales and then do one-on-one coaching. And then once the training is complete, they can actually service some of Dark Horse's clients, right? Or take on new clients that are coming in through the door for Dark Horse. And then eventually it could lead to, if there's satisfaction, blah, 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 to become an equity principal in the firm. So so instead of just like posting a job posting, right? They're doing this in a very creative way where, hey, we're going to train you. And then possibly, you know, again, a typical accelerator, not everybody stays in it forever. Sometimes they branch out right, right. off that. And so it's, a, it's one of those, maybe it's risky at one hand for Dark Horse, but I could see people doing it because it's less risk for you, right? As an accountant, like maybe I don't know if I want to do my own firm or not, but I could do this. I get the training. If I bounce out, I bounce out. But if Dark Horse does this right, they're going to really figure out who they want to keep at their firm and make principles. Well, well, because the risk to the firm is that you hire somebody as a full-time employee and you think they're partner material and then they turn out not to be. Mm-hmm. But this way, Dark Horse is, I assume they're staying contractors or it's I, like I, a- It's a press release. There's no, there's no <laughs> deets like that in this, right? They, they, they use words like our bot-enabled technology stack of apps. I'm like, oh gosh. <laughs> so- uh. But the model I find is interesting. Like the, you're right, they're, they're separating the risk. The risk of hiring somebody bad is very low, but the risk of you discovering a gem and then pulling them in, a high-performing person, is huge. So side note on that reducing risk, like this to me is sort of like a off-balance sheet financing arrangement where you know you, you keep the liability off of your books, right? The liability of an employee that might not work out. And I saw something the other day that reminded me of that. Uh, it was a it was a new tech startup, and and it was one of those companies where you give them your car, and they rent it out for you, 
Have you heard about this? Like, if you're not using your car, you can drop it off at one of their. It's like an Airbnb ish, but but for cars, kind of. But they kind of more manage it the way a property manager would manage. Right. It. So you sign up and you register your car, and then whenever you're not using it, you can just drop it off at the lot, or you can I don't know go on the app and say my car is available for rent, and then they'll they'll basically rent it out on the app and they'll clean it and all this stuff. So think about it like an Airbnb for your car or something. Well. Or, but it's more managed than that. Anyway, what I thought was funny about it is I was thinking, well, so this is basically like Hertz or a dollar car rental or whatever. But the difference is the car rental company doesn't have to buy the car. So in a way, thinking like an accountant, they get to be a car rental company and all of the cars are financed off balance sheet by people who own the cars. That's Uber. It's the Uber model. Right. And and so they are going to, even though they're just really a car rental company, they're going to look like they have amazing return on assets, right? Or return on equity because they don't have to have all these liabilities. They, they don't have to borrow the money to buy the cars. Uh, they don't have to have the cars on. They're just an app. isn't it's in, And all the risk is transferred and all the cost of ownership is transferred to the owner of the vehicle. And What'll be interesting to see is if you know people pop up who start businesses where they'll own like twenty cars and then rent them out through this app. And if that happens, then you know that's exactly what the the value of this app is: is off balance sheet financing. This is a it's interesting because it's a big I think a bigger issue with the gig workers in general, right? Like they're the ones that are assuming all these costs. And last night I was driving, and on the side of the road there was a minivan that was clearly broken down, and it was there long enough where you know when the police put those stickers over the win- on the side of the window. Those tickets, yeah, right? yeah, that the car has to get, it's going to get towed, etc. But it's very obvious this person in the back had their Uber Eats, their Uber sticker, their uh, what's the what's the Lyft, mm-hmm. right? They had, so they have, they're a gig worker, and all those services they did were big, huge stickers on the back window. And I was thinking about this. Oh, that's not good for their brand, no, <laughs> right? And, and, and right, there's a but like like these gig workers aren't making enough to maintain the cost of the vehicle to do the maintenance. So then, so all there's going to be a bunch of shitty vehicles going around with Uber Eats labels on them. Like, so if you don't own your assets, you don't get to own your brand. Hmm. I think this is where this can march to eventually. Yeah, and that's the problem with all of these services where it's relying on your personal vehicle. All those costs of ownership are hidden to your average worker. They don't realize the depreciation that's happening, that when you drive for Uber, there's a huge hidden cost in your vehicle gaining mileage. And very quickly, you're going to have to replace that car, maintain that car. And when you subtract the cost of ownership of the vehicle from what you're making on Uber, it stops being $15 an hour or $20 an hour, and it, it drops below 10 bucks an hour very easily. This is where tech is not doing good for the country in that it's really just shifting risk and burden off of the company themselves to the worker. like, And that's where the risk is, in the, I, I think, for tech. And in, in the backlash is coming for tech in, in this. Um, A lot of these models do not add up. Well, and it goes back to like scale factor and pilot where there's all these human costs that are being papered over and hidden. And that's what scale factor was doing. They were hiding their cost of goods sold, which was their labor cost, down in operating expenses and not exposing that as a true cost of delivering the service, which was an artificially inflating their gross margin and making them look like a tech company, even though they weren't. 
So another example of this, right? These tech companies, they invent these new business models and they don't want to play by the rules that everybody else has. So Roblox, are you familiar with Roblox? Your kid probably plays that. Uh, he doesn't yet, but it's it's like um, Minecraft kind of stuff, right? That's Minecraft, but it's like it's more like a platform. So like other kids are building games on top of this. There's a whole ecosystem and you can buy, uh, they call them Robux. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like dollars, Robux, so you can buy these. So Roblox, they just had their IPO in March, but it was supposed to be in January and it got delayed. And the reason it got delayed, so there were some documents that have been leaked between discussions between the SEC and the company's lawyers. Roblox, because they do two things. They sell Robux, which are basically their digital currency or their gift cards. It's a gift card, really, right? They're selling gift cards, but then they also have digital goods. So I could buy the sword or where the hell I buy clothes or a mustache. I don't know what I'm buying, right? I'm buying some sort of digital goods in the video game. Well, they wanted to report all that as income and revenue. They don't want to treat the gift cards as a liability. Uh-huh. Right. And so round and round, et cetera, obviously the SEC won. And then it's funny, this article has like a quote from a professor at Vanderbilt University. He's like, even if they're purchased in bundles, the standard revenue recognition in the industry is to separate them. And then it goes on. Um, there's a quote deeper in the article from a CFO at Zigna, because Zigna apparently tried this as well. This was the one that did all the Facebook games, like Farmville and the stuff, Facebook right? games, right? And so they're decade old now, right? And and, and it was funny. He said, uh, to read the quote, a lot of veteran CFOs in video gaming, we're all laughing and rolling our eyes. Oh, like, oh, yeah, the new kid is going to try it. Good luck. I wonder, you know, who thought they could get away with that? What, you know, who's the CFO over at Roblox that thought they could? That's, that's just, it's like, like so blatant. Like any first year accounting, you know, staff accountant should know this. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's uh, but they try, right? They yeah. keep trying, creep, and, and then take the hit afterwards. But I thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, like it's it, you're right. It's like an accounting one on one thing: how to handle a gift card or a prepayment. Yeah, it's like in intermediate accounting, you tackle like gift cards. Um, <laughs> funny. Well, David, that's all the time we got this week. If people want to get in touch with you online, how should they do that? Uh, the best way is probably through uh, any of the socials. I'm at David Leary. Um, if you do LinkedIn, say you're not a bot. And it's funny, Blake, people have started to do hashtag not a bot all on their own. I am at Blake T. Oliver. You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail. Our number is 202-695-1040. Leave a message. About two minutes is what we give you. So keep it short. We'll take a listen. And we've played these on the air before. We will likely play yours on the air. We love to hear from our listeners. It's always fun to hear your voices. That's all I got. Bye, everybody. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Have you ever joined a mastermind group with other accounting professionals? The Realize Accountant community is organizing mastermind groups for accountants, with groups kicking off this May. Whether you're a firm owner, a staff accountant, at a small firm, or a big four, Realize is matchmaking pros offering similar services and light-sized firms. You'll spend six months in a group of five going deep on issue specifics to you and your firm. Signups close April 30th. Learn more at rlz.io. That's rlz.io. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. 
head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. With new tech coming out from around the world each day, how do you filter out the noise and find the best tech for your firm? Launch for Accountants is a tech discovery platform made for accounting firm owners. Here are just a few of the most popular launches from the month of January. A web-based tool for building narratives around your 10 key tapes, a PPP forgiveness utility, and a financial modeling platform that integrates with your entire cloud stack. To learn more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at launchfa.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.